There is such a powerful presence of the Lord in this house. Feeling the very presence of God here today. And what I have grown to learn is when we have this kind of atmosphere like we have right now, anything that the Bible says that God can do, God can do it here today. Come on, does anybody believe that with me right now? Anything that the Bible says that God can do, He can do it now. He can do it in this place. He can do it in this atmosphere. I want to receive that today. Amen. I was standing over there during the worship and just contemplating in my heart what I was feeling from the Lord. And I felt like the Lord began to drop something in my spirit. I began to feel this thought of the word surrender. Look at your neighbor and say surrender. What the Lord began to impress on me is that there are a couple of dozen people in this room right now that in the state of your life in this moment, you are right on the edge of making a commitment to God. You are right on the edge of releasing yourself to what you're feeling. I looked across this audience and I saw people who desperately wanted to just release yourself and begin to worship God the way others were worshiping. And it's not about being like other people, but it was about a feeling that you had in your spirit that said, I want that kind of freedom in my life. I want that kind of release in my life. And I've come to tell you right now that the Lord is saying to you right now, just surrender. Just surrender. Quit trying to hold on. Quit trying to quit. Keep doing things the way you've always done. Stop trying to keep repeating history, but surrender to what you're feeling in the Lord right now. Can we take one more moment and lift our hands and cry out to the Lord? Oh, lift your voice and cry out to Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We surrender to you, Lord. We surrender to you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. It's such an honor to be with you today. I count it as a great privilege to stand here in this pulpit. And I can tell you that, Pastor Bibb, you could have just kept going right there. I'd have been totally fine just to, to ride the rest of this service out right on that front row because the man of God was giving us some good stuff there, wasn't he? How many are thankful for your pastor today? Praise God. Amen. I've been blessed because of the ministry over the last five or ten years to be able to travel. And I've traveled all over this world. In fact, my good friend, Brother Steve, over here, I met him in Thailand, if you can believe that. But Phoenix is one of my favorite places to come. It always has since the first time I came. It's always one of my favorite places to come. I just love Phoenix. I think I like all of Arizona, but I love Phoenix. I like the Mexican food better in Phoenix than I like the Mexican food in Mexico. 
I've had both, and I just prefer it here. I'm sorry. It's just a weird little thing, but one of my favorite parts about coming to Phoenix is getting to spend time with the Bibb family because they are so precious to me. Each of them, brother and sister Bibb and all the kids, I just honor them today. They're such great people, and it's always a, a refreshing to me to be around them. Brother Bibb and I and the boys yesterday, we had lunch together, and we just cut up and laughed, and uh, it does the heart good. Amen. Amen. Something about serving God, if you're not serving God, you know, and, and I, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I know that not everybody who comes to church is planning on serving God. Well, well, pastor told me not to offend anybody today. Well, hey, I know how it is. Sometimes we got all kinds of reasons why we come to church, don't we? <laughs> Who wouldn't want to come here? I mean, it's awesome. You got a free concert today. Some of the best music you're going to hear all over the city. You heard it right here today. Coffee in the foyer, you know. Great coffee shop. Nice people. There's all kinds of reasons to come to church. But when it comes to living for God, I want to tell you, the Lord wants to impart something to you today about living for Him. I believe the Lord wants to remind us of a few things today about living for Him. So turn with me, if, if you will, in your Bibles. I want to read to you from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And for those of you that have been around the Word of God for a long time, I'm not getting ready to read you an unfamiliar story but I pray that you'll see something in it that perhaps you haven't seen before. And as you're turning to this 17th chapter of 1 Samuel, this is the story in the Bible that many of you heard as a child. This is David and Goliath. This is the setting of Scripture. When, when David had been sent by his father to the battlefield to inquire after his brothers and see how they were doing, he was carrying food and drink for them to refresh them, and he came there no doubt expecting that he was going to arrive at a battlefield, but as he arrived and as he got close, he found that there was not a battle going on at all. In fact, it was a game of hide and seek is really what was taking place, because all the armies of the Lord his brothers included, and the king, they were in hiding, and they were in fear. Because when he walked into that valley, as that verse number 20 tells us, that, or 21 rather, that Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and he ran into the army, and he came, and he saluted his brethren. And as they talked with him, here's when it happens. There came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and the Bible says, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, verse 24, it says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were sore afraid. 
they were quaking in their boots. And the Bible says this in verse 25. I'll let you be seated in just a moment. And the men of Israel said, they're talking to David now. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And then they say, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Everybody got that? Hey, David, you see this guy? Whoever kills him, you're going to get a bag of money, get to marry the king's daughter, and your family's going to be free in Israel, no bondage for the rest of your life. In other words, no taxes. I'm all about that right there. But here's what happens. And David spoke to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? Well, they just told you. They've already told him, but David says, what shall be done? You ever had anybody ask you that before? They say it like this. Tell me again. Tell me one more time. And so the Bible says, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? And then he says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the Bible says in verse 27 that the people answered him after this manner, saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Money, the daughter, no taxes. That's the second time they told him. And then we know that Big Brother comes on the scene, and I'm a big brother, so I know all about that. Eli of the big brother, he chastises David. He, he says, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. You should be at home watching those sheep. You're a naughty-minded little boy. Why are you even here right now? And then David begins to say, listen, isn't there a reason to do this? Isn't there a cause? Should, what, 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 what are you blaming it on me for? Shouldn't we do something about this? Amen. But then, before anything else happens, in case you've never read it just like this, in the next verse, verse number 30, David, the Bible says, then he turned from him, meaning his brother, then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. They told David what was going to happen. And he said, tell me again. And they told him again. And then he had a little fight with his brother. And when that was all over, he said, now tell me one more time. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you.
now your word is anointed, but we need to be anointed in this house. I pray for you to bless us, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us. And I pray that for someone who's here today that may be thinking about walking away from this truth and walking away from the church, that you would get a hold of their lives today and show them there's a reason to stay in the church. There's a reason to stay with you, Lord. And if there's somebody here today that's just trying to get towards you and trying to make a commitment to you, I pray that this would be the service that you would push them over the edge where they commit to you like never before. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to go all in. Oh, and everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord while you're being seated. Thank you for standing. God bless you. Amen. The greatest liar who ever lived told one of the greatest truths that ever was. Because it was Satan himself that when he came to heaven with the sons of God, and the Lord spoke to Satan and said, while you're down there trying to do your dirt and you're trying to win everybody over to your side, Satan, the Lord said, have you ever thought about my servant Job? You ever thought about trying to win him over? You ever thought about getting Job to turn away from me, Satan? And this is what Satan said. He says, does Job fear God for naught? That's the king's English right here, but what that means is he don't fear you for nothing. Does Job fear God for no reason? God, you know this man is getting something out of this. Job isn't just serving you because he's so good. But Job is serving you because you're so good. Job ain't doing this for nothing. There's a reason why he's so committed. There's a reason why he's so righteous. There's a reason why he's always pushing evil away. Because you, God, are blessing him, and you, God, are giving him favor, and you, God, are putting something on his life that is distinguishing him from everybody around him. You see, friend, today, even the devil knows that it costs to serve him but it pays to serve the Lord. You need to know that because you've been listening to the devil in your life too long. The devil knows it pays to serve God. There's a reason why we serve God. I serve him because I love him, and I serve him because he's my Savior. I serve him for a whole lot of reasons, but can I tell you, there's one big reason I serve him, because he blesses my life. He blesses everything that I do. He's got his hand on me. I'm in this because there's something in this for me. Jesus is the center of my life. Is there a witness here today that knows you have benefited by living for the Lord? Is there somebody here today that can stand and shout and maybe testify and say, God has blessed me. He's been there for me. He's saved my family. He's healed my body. He's delivered me from sin. 
You see, I believe today that I am here to remind somebody that it is worth it to stay in this fight. It is worth it to stay in the church. It is worth it to get into the church. It's worth it to be a part of the body of Christ. Amen. If you're here today and you don't serve the Lord, I would encourage you that today is the day you've lived without him for too long in your life, and you're in the right place today to make a change. This is a moment and an opportunity that will be remembered for the rest of your life if you give your heart to Jesus Christ today. I believe that with every fiber of my being, and I know that there's dozens of people all over this place, hundreds even, that have already done this. You've given your soul to God and you know if they'll just make this commitment today it's going to be a blessing it's going to be favor it's going to be anointing oh God is going to do for them what he's already done for you if you're here for the first time today and you're trying to figure out why everybody's smiling and why everybody's worshiping God and why everybody feels so free, can I tell you here today, do we serve God for nothing? No, we serve God because he is a deliverer. He has changed our lives. He has set us free. We got a reason for these smiles. We got a reason that we're feeling liberty. We've got a reason to worship the Lord today. If you're here today and you've grown weary in serving the Lord and you've grown tired of facing the giants and the storms and the battles, I've come to encourage you that you've come too far to turn around now. You've lived for God for too long to give up now. Stay in this fight. Hallelujah. If you don't want to serve God, I hope that your life here is blessed. I hope that you have everything that you want and everything that you need. I hope that you live a life that makes other people jealous because this is as close to heaven as you're going to get. But if you do serve the Lord, then let me tell you, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. The pain you might be feeling today, that's as close to hell as you're going to get. The struggle that you've got going in your mind and your spirit, that's as close to hell as you're ever going to get. The wounds and the hurts of how people have taken advantage of you, that's how, that's as close to hell as you're ever going to get. So you might as well worship God today to know there's coming a day when all my trouble is over. On that great getting up morning when the Lord calls us home, I might have a problem here today. I might be in a struggle here today, but there is coming a day when the Lord is going to call me home. Yes, I've got problems, but this is the only time I'm going to have to deal with problems. Hallelujah. There's a song I'm working on learning right now. And if I had the voice today, I'd just take a, I'd take a risk and try to sing it. But it says that the streets of gold are going to welcome the weary souls. And all the saints are going to drink from the crystal stream. And we'll all be gathered there. And the only thing that's missing up there is the tears. Everything else you need is there. But the only thing that ain't going to be there is the tears. You're going to see those loved ones who died in the Lord. They're going to be there again. We have 
have hope. Oh, they died, but because they were in the truth and because, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Somebody ought to just let God have his way in your life right now. I'm going to see him again. I'm going to dance at the foot of the, of the throne. I'm going to be in the presence of God. I don't always get what I want here. I don't always feel the way I want to feel here. There are moments and times when I go through struggle, but can I tell somebody this is the only time I'm ever going to have to deal with it because when the Lord calls me home, there ain't going to be no tears there. There's no crying there. There's no aging there. There's no death When David arrived into the valley of Ella, he was about to face the greatest challenge and yet the greatest opportunity of his life. His life was about to change because he was getting ready to gain the favor of the king. And today, what we need more than any other thing in this world is the favor of the king. I'm not talking about the king of some other country on this planet. I'm not talking about a president or a congressman. I'm not talking about somebody who has such great wealth that everybody defers to them. I'm not talking about any type of celebrity or worldly hero. I'm talking about the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When you win the favor of the king on your life, there is nothing that will bring greater favor, revival, and blessing in your life than when the king of glory is pleased with you. Proverbs 16 and 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Even your enemies. That means your friends are going to be at peace with you. Your family is going to be at peace with you. Your acquaintances are going to be at peace with you. But even the enemy can't help but offer you a truce and say, I don't want to fight you no more because the favor of the king is on your life. See, today I, I'm constantly amazed at the things that God does. Even at this age of my life, almost 45 years old, I'm still amazed at the thing that God does. I'm still blown away in revelation at some of the things that God will do for people and do for those that serve Him. I'll tell you just a little bit about my life, I, I've never known anything else. And I'm thankful for that. Some people have testimonies of all the great things that God took them out of. I'm thankful for that, for you. But for me, I'm thankful for all of the great things that God kept me from. And that's a testimony, young person. But I've never known anything else. I've made more than my share of mistakes in this life. There's plenty of things that I could tell you today that would embarrass me for you to know. Things that make me ashamed about my life. But I can honestly tell you, I've never, ever considered not living for God. Even when I was in sin... I was looking back at the church. 
All I can tell you is that growing up in this thing from very early on, I realized that this is the best thing going. And there, there may be parts that I don't always enjoy. And there may be some things that I don't always like. And sometimes there are requirements and obligations that I would rather do away with. But the bottom line is I figured out as a child that this is it. So even when I was in sin, I was looking toward God and looking toward the church. You see, my grandfather, Stanley Wilt, was a soldier who lied about his age to join the Marines to get into World War II. And he arrived there in Hawaii to work in Pearl Harbor about three months after the bombing there. He went through all kinds of things in World War II, and when he got out, he met and married my grandmother. And in that season of his life, Pastor Bibb, he began to seek God. To hear the stories that they tell about his life before that time, he was a cursing, fighting, drunk, with a violent, mean streak to him. But he began to read the Bible, and as he read it, it began to change his life. He actually became a Methodist preacher. And then in study, the Lord gave him a revelation of the oneness of God and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And when he went to his superiors in the Methodist church, they branded him a heretic and they stripped him of his credentials and sent him out of the Methodist church where he not too long later found the United Pentecostal Church like this one right here. But many years later, after having already started several churches planting them, he met a young man whose name was Jeff Chavis. Jeffrey Lynn Chavis was a, a rock and roll musician who was caught up in the world of drugs and alcohol and marijuana in the early 70s. The first apostolic service that Jeff Chavis ever went to, he was literally running from the police. Y'all, I'm sorry, I'm from, I'm from North Carolina, so we say the police. You might say the police. He was running from the police. He had hair in a braid all the way down his back below his belt. He had on blue jeans with holes in them. He had on a T-shirt with a, a navy blue blazer and no shoes. That's how Jeff Chavis first went to an apostolic church like this one. But God began to get a hold of his life there in that church. And Stanley Wilt won him to God and discipled him and taught him about the things of God. Taught him how to pick up that guitar that he used to play rock and roll music with and how to play it for Jesus. And God got a hold of his life. He met then and married Wanda Levon. And a few years later, Aaron Brock Chavis was born. I came along into the picture. Dad was in the ministry before my earliest memories even began. 
But today there's about two dozen preachers walking around North America that Jeff Chavis has raised and launched into their ministries. There's more than five pastors or churches that are being pastored by men that he has raised up. And there are many more dozens of men who call him father because he's their mentor. And in many respects, they are, he is their dad because they don't have dads in their own life. He's got all three of his sons who are full-time in the ministry, licensed ministers with the United Pentecostal Church, two of us who are pastors, one of us who is youth president of the North Carolina District, and myself who sit on the general board of the United Pentecostal Church. My grandfather started eight churches, and he pastored five more, and his son and all of his sons-in-laws became preachers and pastors. He has three grandsons who are licensed ministers, five other grandchildren who are active in ministry, holding positions from drama directors, kids' church leaders, musicians, and singers. On any given Sunday, he'll have about eight different great-grandchildren that are leading worship services all over the country, and he's got five other great-grandsons right now who are studying to become ministers themselves. And even today, right now, as we speak, just in the state of North Carolina alone, there'll be more than 1,500 people worshiping in churches that he started just in that one location. Now, here today, friend, before you clap, I'm not trying to brag on me or my family, but I'm trying to tell you two things right now. Number one, it don't matter where you come from, God can turn your life around and make something great from your generation. It don't matter who you were. It don't matter how much you cussed. It don't matter how much you ran with the world. It don't matter how many wrong things you've done and what you've got in your past. God can turn your life around and make something great. And the second thing I'm trying to tell you today is that if you will let God turn your life around, he will raise up the next generation behind you who's going to have a natural tendency of living for God. They will be born with serving God in their very DNA, and all they're going to want to do is love the Lord and serve the Lord and work in the ministry. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 145 and 4. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. That means before they are even born, the praise of the existing generation will affect those unborn children. They are even in an unborn state. They are hearing the expressions of praise from those who came before. And when they are born into this life, there's going to be something inside of them that just wants to serve God. Hey, you don't have to believe it. You don't have to believe what I'm saying today. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm telling you it's a fact that God will bless your life. Psalm 84 and 11 said, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I know you've been trying to live for God, and people have been ridiculing you. They've been questioning the changes that you're making. They're questioning the life that you're living, and they're trying to make you feel insignificant because you're trying to give your life to God and be a part of a church. But can I tell you, if you will walk uprightly, there is no good thing that God is going to 
hold back from you. He wants to bless those who serve him. I've come here today to tell you one more time, it's worth it to live for God. Psalms 37 and 4 says to delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I remember praying as a younger man about about my future children. I have two brothers, so there's just three of us boys. And uh, so I had an idea in my mind that three was a good number, you know. When I had kids, if I had three, I figured I knew what to do because I had I had watched that growing up. I'd been in that environment. I, I could deal with three. My mom and dad had three. I knew what you do to handle three. I know it doesn't make any sense, but that's what I thought. So in my mind, I, I got to thinking, and I, I just said, I want to have two boys and a girl in that order. And my wife thought I was crazy. I said, no, babe. I really want two sons and then a daughter. After that, whatever happens, happens. But I want two sons first and then a daughter. And I have my reasons. I, I wanted those two boys to have, you know, they need to have somebody to, to roll with them, you know. And I wanted my daughter to have, you know, if somebody tried to step. I wanted to have two big brothers that were ready to knock somebody out. Oh, yeah, you think I'm crazy. I was teaching my kids how to hurt people early on. My wife said, you can't do that. You can't do that. I said, oh, yes, I can. I'll teach them everything else they need to know, but they're going to know how to defend themselves. I know you can't tell by looking at me, but I'm actually the progenitor of a fighting style. Oh, yeah. It's very effective. In fact, it's almost unstoppable. I call it worst scenario possible. You don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to work out. You don't have to lift weights. You don't have to do none of that. All you have to do if somebody attacks you, you just do the worst imaginable thing that you can think of to them right in that moment, and it will work. What's the worst you can do? Do that. Worst scenario possible. It's very effective. It's so effective that I've not even been in very many fights in my life. I just feel like people know. I feel like people just know, this dude is going to mess you up. I used to be a collector for a finance company. I'd go and knock on people's doors at their house or go to their job and take their money. Never carried a gun, never carried a weapon, never even got, never even got pushed one time. People know. I wanted those two big brothers. And then I wanted that little girl. Because if, if, if my kids were out somewhere and some little boy tried to do something to my daughter, I wanted him to get broke right there. I didn't have to know about it. And y'all think I'm crazy, but this is kind of the way my mind works. I started praying about it, Sister Raina. I just prayed. <clears throat> I just praying, Lord, two boys and a girl. Two boys and a girl. Whatever you give me, I'm going to be fine with. But I really like two boys and a girl. And then our first baby came along. On that blessed day, we went to the, got the sonogram as a little boy. I was like, yes, God is moving. But I wasn't 100% because it took three to know if this was all coming true. 
And then a couple years later, my second son, Logan, he was born. And I was like, hey, so far this has happened. So I kept on praying. And then two years later, I remember being in that room. I was just waiting and had been praying. I was like, this is it right here. Because this is going to break the mold because my dad had three boys in a row. I ain't trying to have six or seven boys to get to that daughter. I want her right now. I want her right, <laughs> I want her right now. And I remember when that lady, the nurse there, she told us that it was a girl. I was like, I, want, I was so excited, but I couldn't let my wife, you know, get too excited. I was so excited. I was so excited. You know what I was thinking? I was like, God loves this dude right here. This is what I've been praying about. This is what I wanted. See, some of y'all think that the only thing God cares about is whether or not you go to heaven or hell. But God cares about your life. You serve God, you're going to find out. He says, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. He, he cares for you. That's what the Bible says. You see, today I am totally convinced that we're going to win. I can't get off my kids. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to talk more about my kids for a few minutes. So 10 years later, we started thinking, man, I'd, I'd like to have another little, little baby. And in my mind, I was like, I want another girl now. I figured out that having a girl was really cool. You know, I like being a, I like being a, a girl daddy. So I said, I want, a, I want another baby. And so my wife had had three C-sections, and the shop was closed. The tubes were tied, burnt, and the ends thrown away. We were having no other kids. I watched him do it because I'm not squeamish, and I was looking right in there. He cut those things up just like he was an electrician. <laughs> he was looking at me, and I was like, that's all there is to it, really? I could do this right now. I could literally do this. It's like tying a shoestring. Like, come on, man. How much am I paying for you paying you for this again? Ten years later, we want to have a baby. And so we're going through the process trying to talk to this doctor about reversing a tubal ligation, if that's what you call it. And he says, Well, yeah, you can do it. He said, But why don't you just do in vitro? I said, I don't in vitro. My wife called me and said, the doctor said in vitro. I said, I, what, what? I thought you did in vitro because you couldn't have kids. He said, well, you do in vitro, it saves you a surgery. And so we prayed about it. I got counsel. I was worried about it. I was worried about frozen embryos in the refrigerator for 40 years and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a whole long message here and a whole long testimony, but it all worked out, and God gave us Lincoln, that fourth baby. And we were so excited. And it didn't even matter so much that he wasn't a little girl. But, I mean, that boy Lincoln, it's almost like I'm a granddad because he's 10 years younger than my daughter. And this boy, he's five years old right now. He lights up my life every single day. And Lincoln was six months old when we got a phone call and we found out that there was an opportunity through a family connection to adopt another baby. And, and my, my wife was with my mother, and my mother said, I wish somebody in the family would be interested in adopting this baby. And Randy said, we'll take him. And my mom said, what do you think, you're, what do you think Brock's going to say? And Ran my wife said, Brock will say yes. And so my wife didn't believe that, so she had to ask me. She said, Randy said, y'all might be interested in, in adopting this baby. I said, oh, yeah, let's do this. 
And so with a six-month-old baby, we went into motion to adopt another baby. And right about the time that, uh, that, uh, that Lincoln was having his first birthday, we took home another little boy from the hospital, and now we got five kids. And I'm as happy as I can be with those five kids. My two babies are one year apart. And I'm just trying to tell somebody here today, and I've given you a little bit of glimpse into the craziness of my life, but I'm telling you right now, if you will serve God, there is going to be blessing, there's going to be reward, and God's going to care about the things that you care about, and God's going to want to bless the things that you want to bless, and he is going to be on your side. Hallelujah. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Hallelujah. I've come to tell you today that God has always been a rewarder of them that finish. God is a rewarder of those that stay in this. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Hallelujah. That's why Matthew 10 and 22 says, You'll be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And Matthew 24, 13 says, He that endures to the end shall be saved, as God repeated himself. He is a rewarder of those that win. He's a rewarder of those that stay in the fight and in the battle. Hallelujah. In Revelation 2, he said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches to him that overcometh I will give to eat of the tree of life hallelujah in verse 17 to him that overcometh I will give them to eat of the hidden manna and will give them a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saying he that receiveth it hallelujah you see, in the Old Testament, it was manna that sustained the Hebrews during the 40 years wandering around in the desert. But Jesus said in John 6, I am that bread of life, verse 48. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, but they are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread. Jesus is the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, bread. He shall live forever, and the bread that I will give you is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is telling somebody here today, if you will love him and embrace him and serve him, that eternal soul that's in your body right now, that body may die, but the soul is going to live forever. It's going to live forever with him. That scripture said he'll give you a white stone. A white stone signifies a decisive vote in one's favor. It also signifies a judgment of innocence. And the connotation is a judgment of a, of a new innocence. In other words, when the Lord said he's going to give you a white stone, what that means is he's going to take the blackness of the sin in your life and the, and the guilt that you have and where you are not innocent, he's going to take that white stone and set it over your life. And when that, light, that white stone lays down, it's going to say, now they're innocent. They weren't guilt. They were guilty before now, but because 
because of me in their life, they are going to be innocent. Is there anybody here in this place that's got real problems and made real mistakes and, and done some bad things? Can I tell you, God wants to make you with a new innocence. He wants to put a new innocence on your life. You may be far from innocent today, but God wants to forgive you and give you a new innocence in your life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Musicians can begin to come right now. I was four and a half years old. We were on the property of my church. They were doing some work, and they had pushed down an 80-foot-tall pine tree. They pushed it down with a bulldozer. It was laying across the parking lot. It stretched all the way across the parking lot. And I know y'all don't have much in the way of pine trees here in Arizona, but a pine tree has a root ball on it that extends for 50, 60, 75 feet. And so when that tree was pushed over on the ground, the end where the roots were was high up in the air, maybe 12, 15 feet, just kind of at an angle. They were cutting on the, on the trunk of that tree there at the bottom. And the idea was that when they cut through the trunk of that tree, they thought that it was just going to drop straight to the ground. Now, I wasn't supposed to be there. I was supposed to be in the house, but I was disobedient, and I came back out. And about 15, 20 feet away from that tree, I was caught up in the excitement, and I was, I was down on the ground on my knees playing in the dirt. And when Brother Hubert Tyler cut through the roots of that tree, Something unexpected happened because that tree did not fall directly down. But maybe because of the branches and the torque of it, it twisted and it turned and it just lurched over. And when it fell, it fell directly down on top of my body and it crushed my body into the dirt. I've heard countless descriptions of what I was looking like. There are many people in my church today that were on the scene. You've got to keep in mind, there were dozens of witnesses. <clears throat> that tree had me pinned down. <clears throat> At first, they couldn't even see me because of the branches and everything. My dad had saw me at the last moment, and he, he got stuck in between the branches. He was pinned but God began to move, and two men, Gene Goodine and another man whose first name was Eugene, Gene and Eugene, Eugene Bryant, they stood on either, either side of me, and while everybody else was in shock, they just grabbed a hold of that pine tree that was a, at the base larger around than as a man I could put my hands around it. They just began to lift. And when they lifted, that tree came up off the ground. And they were able to slide my body out into the open beyond the branches. And what they saw there was a sight to behold. Because my body was crushed, my left leg was snapped, dangling beneath me, nothing but the skin holding it still attached to my body. The pressure and the force of that had broken things on the inside of me beyond just bones but blood 
was literally pushing through my skin. My whole body was turning blue as the blood was just trying to go somewhere. I, ha I had been smashed to the ground. We would find out later that there was more going wrong in my body at that moment than there were going right. There was more things failing than there was operating right. My diaphragm was torn, and I didn't know till I was an adult how serious that would be because your lungs won't work right if your diaphragm is not working, and your diaphragm's an involuntary muscle. There's really nothing they could do at that time. Pelvis bone was broken, left leg was broken. So many things happened. One lung was punctured, another lung was collapsed. And I was laying there on the ground, no breath in my body, there was no pulse. Minutes passed. Minutes passed as they were trying to figure out what to do. The next door neighbor to the church was a retired EMT. They got Mr. Stitch out there and he came to me where I was and there was no pulse. He said, there's nothing going on here. He said, don't wait for the ambulance. You got to take me to the hospital right now. And in that moment, my dad, who back in those days always wore a baseball cap, have to know my dad, the bibs do, but he took that cap off of his head and he slammed it to the ground and he began to scream, God, you're not taking my boy today. And he began to pray under the authority of the Holy Ghost and pray in the name of Jesus. And while he was yet praying and the voices of others began to lift on that parking lot in prayer, my body began to jerk and convulse as my heart started to beat again and they began to feel the pulse again. God began to move in a mighty way, in a fast way. Things began to happen. They put me in the newest car on the parking lot. It was a brand new Honda Civic, which was a big deal back in the 80s. It belonged to that man, Eugene Bryant. The windows were down. The sunroof was open. They threw him in the back, and that was one of the first cars that had electrical stuff, you know, blinkers and, and uh, uh, doors and uh, uh, windows and all that kind of stuff. And They threw me in. They started burning it down the road, and every stoplight, it, they were just kind of going through, and then the whole electrical system in that Honda failed. I mean, no lights, no flashers, no emergency, no, no control of the windows and everything. They were having to stop and get out at intersections. My dad was having to jump out and flag people down to get us through the intersection. Some, something was going on. I will never give credit to the devil, but somebody wanted me to die on that day. I was barely breathing. The brother uh, Goodine, he was a backslider actually. He, he wasn't even in the church, Brother Bib. He was just there working that day because his wife went to the church. He hadn't been to church in I don't know how long, according to what they said. He was in the back. He was holding the, the bottom part of my left leg in his hand to kind of keep it together with the skin so it wouldn't tear the flesh anymore than it already had and my dad said in that moment in the crisis of that moment that I came out of my unconscious state and I lifted up my head to him and I looked him right in the eye and a four year old boy said daddy everything is going to be okay and I passed out again and Gene Goodine started speaking in tongues as God richly refilled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost I believe he knew something is real something is moving here he began to speak in tongues and it took about 20 minutes to get to the hospital. When we pulled in that hospital parking lot, a surgeon by the name of Dr. Saliba, I met him as an adult, Brother Bib. Dr. Saliba said he had just came out of hours of surgery 
And of all things, he was standing in the emergency room entrance smoking a cigarette. And he saw the car pulling in, going through the traffic configuration. And he said, later in my life, he told me this personally. Corey, he said, something told me to be ready because something was about to happen. And he called for an orderly. And when I pulled up to the front of that place in that car, when they opened the doors, there was a surgical team, not just a doctor. It was a surgical team with a gurney and orderlies waiting there. They opened the door. They reached right in and started cutting the clothes off of my body, put that on the gurney. He looked at my dad and said, Sir, don't go to the registration desk. If you do, he'll die. With your permission, I'm taking him immediately to surgery. My dad said, Do what you got to do. So my dad goes through the process. They're doing x-rays. They're checking things out, trying to figure out what's wrong with me. In the moments before the surgery, he finds my dad and he said, knowing his name now, he said, Mr. Chavis, I don't know you, but I know this. If you know how to pray, you need to go find a place to pray right now because we need God to move. He wasn't even a Christian, but he knew that there needed to be something else happen beyond his own ability. And that hospital room, that waiting room began to fill up with people from our church and they were praying. Later that night, after hours and hours and hours of surgery, my dad caught the slumping figure of Dr. Saliba walking down the hall with some folder in his hand. And he caught up to him and said, Doctor, you got to tell me what's going to happen with my boy. He said, Mr. Chavis, let me show you something. So he takes him into a room which I know now would be like an x-ray viewing room. He takes out a set of x-rays. He puts them on the glass, turns the light on. He says, Mr. Chavis, this is your son before our surgery today. He takes out another set of x-rays, put it up right beside it. He said, sir, this is your son right now. And with a bewildered look on his face, he looked at my dad and he said, sir, somebody besides me has been operating on your son this night. I don't have time to tell you the rest of the story, but I will tell you this. 18 days later, I walked out of that hospital on my own two feet on a leg that God had completely healed. X-ray this leg right now. You're not going to find a crack. You're not going to find where it was ever broken because God healed my leg. I can tell these guys over here. I don't know you, but I know you must know your way around a basketball court. I played basketball. I played football. I played baseball. I've never had one problem. I've not had breathing problems, even with two messed up lungs. I've never had any problem. And all I'm trying to do here today is I'm telling you one more time, it's worth it to live for God. It's worth it to live for God. God's going to bless you, David. God's going to bless you if you just face this giant. Stand with me all over the sanctuary. Because here's David. On one side, he's got an army in fear. On the other side, there's a giant that's a champion. And they said, if you kill him, you get wealth. If you kill him, you marry the king's daughter. If you kill him, there's no bondage for your family anymore. And David says, tell me one more time. If you kill him, you get wealth. If you stand against him, you marry the king's daughter. If you fight the giant, no taxes for your family anymore. David looks at Goliath. He says, 
Tell me one more time. If you kill him, you get wealth. If you stand against him and you fight him, you marry the king's daughter. You got the king's favor. If you fight him, your family will have no bondage in Israel ever again. And David said, let's go do this. Because the longer David looked at those rewards, the smaller that giant got. The more he saw the benefits, the smaller the battle was. The longer he saw what was going to happen when he took a stand and lived and did what was right, the smaller the problem was. And I've come to tell somebody here today, stop looking at the battle and look at the benefits right now. Stop looking at the giant and look at the blessings of God. Stop looking at the addiction and the destruction and look at what God wants to do, how God wants to bless you, how God wants to do things in your life, how God wants to create a new legacy for your family. Look at the blessings. Tell me one more time. God is good. God is good. God is good. This altar is open today. I wonder if somebody right now wouldn't be worried about who's watching and would just run down to the altar and say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for God. I'm not giving up. I've looked at my giant for far too long. Oh, but now I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I've looked at the problems, but now I'm looking at the promise. I'm looking at the blessings of God. And as you gather, I want you to lift your hand before the Lord. If you're cold in God, I want you to pray through. I want you to pray through today. And if you've never prayed through, I want you to pray right now that God would fill you with His Spirit. Lift up your hands all over the sanctuary. And as they begin to sing right now, I want you to release yourself. Hear the word of the Lord that says, surrender to me right now. Surrender to the Lord right now and let God begin to move. Let God begin to move. I've tried so hard to see it. It took me so long to believe it. You choose someone like me to carry your victory. Perfection could never earn it. You give what we don't deserve it. You take the broken things and trade them for glory. Cause you are my champion. The giants fall when you stand under. Every battle you've won, I am who you say I am. You crown me with confidence, I am seated in the heavenly place undefeated with the one who is conquered. I've tried so hard.
everybody's praying and I, I want you to keep praying but for those that can hear me I've shared with you today a lot of blessings and benefits of serving God but I was reminded recently as someone that I knew very well took their own life someone who was a Christian in fact took their own life because the battle got too rough and I want to tell you here today that when you get weary and when you begin to face struggles there are all kinds of wrong options that will present themselves but I've come to tell you here today suicide is not the answer hurting yourself is not the answer turning squarely to face the Lord is the answer so here's what I want you to do this is going to sound funny but I want you to make a deal with the devil right now that's right I want you to make a deal with the devil because the devil needs to know where you stand in the Old Testament when Moses was trying to get the children of Israel the Hebrew people out of Egypt the Bible says that Pharaoh began to try to negotiate with him and that's what's going on in your life right now you know what you need to do but the enemy it has you at the negotiating table he's saying go spend one more weekend in the world and then go to God he's saying go try this other thing and then try God you cannot negotiate with the enemy of your soul he's trying to take your life he's trying to take your future So Pharaoh says, hey, look, Moses, he says, you can go, but don't go too far. And Moses says, no, 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 that's not going to work. And then later he says, okay, Moses, you can go and spend some time out there, but leave your wives and your kids here. And Moses says, oh, no, 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 I can't do that either. And God sends more plagues. And then Pharaoh says, okay, Moses. You can go and you can take your wives, but leave your flocks here and leave your herds and maybe your small babies. And Moses said, no. Somebody begin to speak to your enemy right now and say, no. Come on, I want to hear you shout it. Shout it to the enemy. No. Shout it to that voice. No. That voice is whispering in your ear saying, Take your life or walk away from God. I want you to say no, 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 no. I won't take the time to break it all down, but here's what Moses said. He said, Pharaoh, number one, we're leaving and we're not coming back. I will never see your face again. He said, our wives and our kids are not staying here they are coming with us because they belong to us. Furthermore, you're not going to take our livestock and our cattle and our sheep and our lambs because in our culture, that's how we worship our God. We sacrifice the animals and we pray. And so I'm not leaving my worship in bondage in Egypt. I'm leaving. My wife is leaving. My kids are leaving. And I'm going to worship God. We ain't never coming back. Moses said, we ain't going to leave one hoof. 
We're not leaving one hoof from one animal in this place of bondage. We are leaving here. So I want somebody right now to start speaking to your enemy, speaking to those thoughts, speaking to that depression, speaking to that fear, speak to that anger right now and start saying, no, I'm going to live for God. There's blessing in living for God. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And I'm going to live for God so that my family is saved, so that my kids are saved. Oh, we're going to worship God. We're going to worship God. Now I want you to pray. Pray that prayer right now. Here's my deal, devil. No. No negotiation. No surrender. No white flag. I've looked at the blessings and I've looked at the benefits and it's going to pay me well to serve God. I'm not going back to bondage. I'm not going back to suicidal thoughts. I'm not going back to depression. I'm not going back to a marriage on the rocks. I'm not going back to fear. I'm not negotiating with the enemy.
has got the revelation of being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so today, he has made a commitment to put his past in this burial, knowing that Jesus Christ was buried. And anything that is dead needs to be buried. So what we're proclaiming today is that his past is being buried right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Franwell, upon the confession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. You are my champion. The giant's born. 